0: Good morning. Welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here and we are one church that meets in more than one location. So we have family right now meeting out at Stone Canyon so as those well as others who will join us later online. If you would here in North Carolina, put your hands together, and welcome them into our time of study here today. Well, in September of 2017, my family stepped foot in the state of Oklahoma for the very first time. We had never been to Oklahoma before, really didn't know anyone here, but we came out to interview with the church, and I'll never forget the first interaction, physical interaction we had with somebody from Oklahoma is actually on the airplane here. We got our connecting flight in Atlanta to Tulsa, and this guy got on the plane, and he was headed to Tulsa, and he was this tall dude, and he had on a huge cowboy hat, cowboy boots, a flannel shirt, jeans, and he walked Walked past us, and my son, Alex, who was four at the time, he looked at this guy as he walked past us down the aisle on the airplane, and he, my son's a big Toy Story fan, he said, look, Daddy, a real-life Sheriff Woody, and he said it loud enough for everybody on the plane to hear, so people laughed, Alice and I were mortified, you know, we were embarrassed that he said that, but the cowboy guy, he just laughed, and uh, he smiled at Alex and just walked on by, and I turned to Alice, and I said, You think everybody in Oklahoma wears cowboy hats and cowboy boots? And she was just like, they might make you preach in them. And so far you haven't, and I appreciate that. But uh, we have grown to love Oklahoma. We accepted the position to come here a few weeks later. We actually started, or I started here at the church January of 2018, and we had only lived in the state of Kentucky our entire lives, and it was home to us, and in some ways it always will be, but Oklahoma feels more like home all the time. We love it here. We love this place. We love you guys. We love the people. We love the culture here. We have fallen in love with Oklahoma, and especially this part of Oklahoma, northeast Oklahoma, which we also call Green Country, and it's something I'm not just saying. I do believe that. Uh, But one thing that I've still struggled with a little bit since I've been here is how to pronounce some of these town and city names. I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm not from here, so I really struggle with some of these names. And I know I'm not the only one because I've heard other people talk about it. And so I want to do a little test this morning. I've asked Ashley, she's a member of our church, to come forward. So if she wants to come on up to the stage, uh, yeah, give Ashley a round of applause. She's not a native Oki either And so uh, they lived here for a few years And I'm going to see how well you can pronounce some of these names I think we have a microphone up here Maybe, here we go, yeah And so let's see how well you can pronounce some of these names can You stand over here, we're going to put them up on the screen And so here's our first one You want to try it? Ucha. Okay, <laughs> how'd she do? Did she get it right? No, no, it's actually pronounced I don't see if I get it right, I don't know Let me see if I get it right, is it Ooch, Ooch? No, I can't do it, never mind, how do you say it, you all say it real loud Ucha, there you go, Ucha, so yeah, I know it doesn't look like that But hey, that was a tough one, let's see if we do have a little bit easier ones Go to the next one Now this one I know, I think Wachita It's Wachita, right? Is that No, it's still not right, what is it? Washita. Washita. Hey, I was close. Yeah, for some reason the OU makes a W sound. Okay, we're not doing very well, are we? Okay, let's, let's try this next one. Shakota. Shakota. All right, she got that one. Then she give her a round of applause? Okay, and then there's one more. This one we should all know. Miami. Miami. There you go. Yeah. Every other place in the world, it's Miami. But yeah, I'll never forget the first week I was here, I said Miami. they like, no, that is not right. So i learned real quick. Well, she did a pretty good job. She got, I think, two out of four. So we're going to give her her very own Oklahoma sweatshirt for helping us out. Let's give her a round of applause. Thanks. Appreciate it, Ashley. I'm still struggling with the town names, but I do love it here. And this is the only place that has some odd names. Kentucky, where I'm from, it is, the city is pronounced Louisville, okay? I know on TV they may say Louisville or Louisville. You're wrong. It is Louisville, okay? Just want to let you know if you're ever in the state of Kentucky. We also have an Athens. Kentucky. I know it's Athens, Georgia, Athens, Greece, but it is Athens, Kentucky, and they will let you know about it if you say it wrong. It's also not Versailles, Kentucky, it is Versailles. I know we're backward, but it doesn't matter. That's how you say it, right? Every area has their little thing and I their little names and I get that a lot but we do love it here in Green Country. And I was doing a little bit of research about this area, and the name Green Country became the official nickname for this region of Oklahoma in the 1960s. The Oklahoma Department of Recreation and Tourism decided to give this area the official nickname Green Country. Now, it had been called that for years, but they decided to make it the official nickname, and they did this for a couple reasons. One, because this area stands distinct from the rest of Oklahoma, because of the green plains or prairies and the green rolling hills that are here This area is a lot greener than the rest of the state And so they wanted to emphasize that But not only that Green is kind of an appealing term When it comes to geography Because normally where something is green Or an area is green It's a sign of life and vitality It's a sign of growth And so the Department of Tourism and Recreation Hoped that by officially labeling this area Green country It would appeal to people And people would come and visit the area And maybe even live here and we understand that I mean when you think about geography normally green like I said it does it does reflect a sign of life right and vitality and growth I mean just think about any movie you've ever watched when somebody is traveling through a desert region and they come upon an oasis whether it's real or imagined what's the color that you see like in this picture right here it's green right that's because it's a sign of life and that's a sign of encouragement when you see green in the midst of dead stuff and I think that's why, in the most popular psalm probably that we know and found in the Bible, it's the most popular psalm that David ever wrote, Psalm 23. He uses the term green pastures to describe the life that God wants us to live. And he says, God wants to lead us, wants to bring us to a life that is full of green pastures. You've probably heard this psalm before Whether you grew up in church or not You've probably heard it before And it goes like this Psalm 23 It says The Lord is my shepherd I shall not be in want He makes me lie down in green pastures He leads me beside quiet waters He restores my soul He guides me in paths of righteousness For his name's sake Even though I walk through the valley Of the shadow of death I will fear no evil For you are with me Like I said, whether you've grown up in church or not, whether you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this psalm before because it's one of the most popular psalms we have. It's, it's read a lot in speeches. It's, you've probably heard it on TV and movies, and it's especially popular in funeral settings. I've used it in funerals. You've probably heard it in and funeral messages and there's nothing wrong with that but I don't think that when David penned this psalm that he just intended it to be a comforting poem that we use during times of grief I think he meant for it to be so much more than that Actually, I believe when David wrote this psalm, he intended it to be a practical guide for life. A roadmap, you might say, for how to live the life that God wants us to live. Because God wants us to live a healthy, spiritual, emotional, and physical life. He wants us to live a life that is vibrant and full, that's satisfying, that brings contentment. And so David here gives us a recipe or a roadmap for how to experience that type of life. And honestly, I believe that's the theme, the overall theme of the book that we call Psalms in our Old Testament. You see, Salmon's right in the middle, tucked right in the middle of our English Bible is a book which we just call Psalms. And that word Psalm is a real interesting term because it literally means song. It's a book of songs, and these were songs that God's people from the Old Testament sang. There are 150 songs in the collection that we have written over a 900 period of time. And it was written by several different authors that God inspired, and these are worship songs, songs of praise, and they're songs that people sang over and over again because one, they helped the people keep their focus on God, but also these songs gave people direction for life. And so the people of God would sing these songs in public worship services, during festivals and feasts, in their homes, on the streets. They would sing them everywhere, because they knew in the midst of a world that sometimes is chaotic, they needed direction, and they needed to be reminded about what matters most. You've probably heard me say before, when you feel like worshiping the least, is when you need it the most. And that's why these songs were so important to God's people and they have been important to God's people for thousands of years. Because the Bible never hides the fact that life at times is gonna to be tough. Life is gonna be rough. And worship helps give us perspective. It transforms our perspective so that we know what's most important and what really matters. And I think that's why what we do here at North Carnett and out at Stone Canyon every single weekend is so important. Because I'm very much aware that every single weekend when we come together for worship, there are people who are listening to me preach, who are participating in our worship time, that are hurting, that are broken, that have had a rough week, and they're struggling. They're struggling with things like family issues and problems at work marriage issues, addiction issues, isolation, depression, health problems, grief, loss, confusion, identity issues, social rejection, and the list just goes on and on. And in the midst of a world that wants to tear us down, beat us up, We come together week in and week out as a family of God to be reminded that we are living for something greater than just what we see around us. And that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're struggling with, our God is greater than anything we face. And so when we come together for worship, we are reminded about who's in control, who's really in charge, and we're reminded about how significant and how important we are because we are his children, that God has not forgotten about us, but he is working in our lives. Even when we can't see him working, he is working in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I need that reminder. I need it week in and week out. Even if I wasn't employed by a church, even if you guys fired me tomorrow, which I hope you wouldn't do, but even if you guys fired me tomorrow, I would be in a church next weekend because I need this. In the midst of a chaotic world, worship reminds me about who God is and reminds me about what really matters. And that's what the Psalms have done for the people of God for thousands of years. The Psalms help us see God in the midst of a world That's often blind to him And of the 150 psalms that we have in our collection In the Old Testament At least 72 of them Are credited to this guy named David You may know him as King David And David may have been a great king And a great leader of God's people He's even known for being a man after God's own heart But David's life wasn't free from struggle From suffering From stress and anxiety David from the time he was a child Had struggles He was the youngest of eight sons, and no one really expected him to do anything. Everybody expected his other brothers to be a lot more successful than him. In fact, David was kind of known for being the runt of the family. But eventually, David rises to prominence as he takes on the giant Goliath. But imagine the stress of having to stand up to this giant that all the rest of Israel's army was afraid of and then once he defeats the giant because God is with him then the king of Israel at the time a guy named Saul he's jealous of David because everybody is giving David all this attention and so Saul the king tries to kill David he sends out his men to kill David David has to run for his life he flees and he hides in caves in order to just survive imagine having to deal with all that then eventually David becomes king of Israel And when he becomes king of Israel, then he has to fight other armies and foreign nations that want to try to take over Israel. David gets distracted sometimes because he gives into temptations, and he brings a lot of destruction into his life and into his home life. I mean, David had a lot of family strife. He even had one son who tried to steal his throne away from him. Imagine dealing with that. David at times was lonely. He was isolated. He was depressed. David may have been a great king and a great leader and a man after God's own heart, but his life was not free from stress and anxiety. And I think David knew better than anyone else. If we're not careful, the noise and distractions of this world will keep us from really living, from living the life that God intended us to live. And I think that's one of the primary reasons why David penned the 23rd psalm to remind us how to live a life where we can be spiritually replenished, to live a life that's prosperous in God's eyes, not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, a life where we can continue to be encouraged and we can remain spiritually, emotionally, and physically healthy. And I think David is very intentional with the language that he uses as he starts off this psalm. Look at what he says again in the very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Right off the bat, David says, God is like a shepherd who leads us, who guides us to green pastures. Now, here's the thing. David's original audience would have been very familiar with the practice of shepherding. Shepherding was a common practice in their day and age. But even though shepherding was common, it was not easy. You see, they had to shepherd in a desert region. They shepherded in a wilderness region where there wasn't a lot of plant life, not a lot of growth. And so a good shepherd had to know where the food was located, had to know where water was located, and had to be able to bring his sheep to those areas so that his sheep could receive nourishment. And so what David here is trying to say is God is like a good shepherd who knows how to nourish, who knows how to take care of his sheep. And so just imagine or look at this comparison here, what David's doing, he's saying, hey, we live in a world that's oftentimes full of death. We live in a wilderness of death sometimes and we look around and we see the curse of death, the curse of sin everywhere and it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to get down. But if you'll just follow the shepherd, the Lord, he will bring you to life. See, that's what God wants to do. God wants to bring us, you and me, from death to life. But here's the thing. God doesn't just want to do that um, in the future sometime. God wants to do that now. Look at what David says. Look back at verse 1 with me. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. Present tense. See, a lot of times when we read this or we hear this read, it's at funerals and people are talking about green pastures one day when we die and go on to be with God in heaven. And there's a, in a sense that's true but that's not exactly what David's talking about here David says the Lord is my shepherd he is leading me to green pastures and still waters right now present tense David doesn't say the Lord was my shepherd the Lord has been my shepherd or the Lord one day will be my shepherd he says the Lord is my shepherd right here right now meaning right now God wants to give me life and did you notice the first description of this life that God wants to give us—did you notice how God wants us to live? What He wants to bring us to? Look at what He says. If you move on, He says, "He, speaking of the Lord, leads me beside quiet waters." Your translation might say "still waters." I don't know about you, but I live in a home with a two and a half year old and a six year old, and. The word quiet and still, that's very refreshing to me because there's not a lot of quiet in my house. There's never a dull moment in my house. But when David uses this phrase, quiet waters, in the Hebrew, it actually means waters of rest. Here David is saying God wants to bring us into a life where we receive continual rest, where we can be recharged, rejuvenated, reenergized, God wants to bring us to waters of rest because God knows that in order to live a full life, a life of peace and contentment, we need rest. In order to make the right choices, in order to have the right attitude, in order to overcome the struggles that we face on a daily basis, we need rest. And God knows that exhaustion will make us vulnerable, vulnerable to behavior and tendencies that we wouldn't normally give in to. See, that's why at the very beginning when God created everything, the heavens and the earth, remember the example he gave us? He created everything in six days and then on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. From the very beginning, God wanted to emphasize the importance of regular rest because he knew we needed it. And it's not just that he set us that example. He then goes on later when he gives the law to Moses to command it. That's why he commanded for us to keep the Sabbath day so that we could have a day, a weekly day of rest, where we can check out from the busyness and the chaos of this world, remember who he is, and find our peace, find our satisfaction in him. God gave us this example, he gave us this command to rest, because he knew exhaustion is a gateway to destructive tendencies. And I think we all know that to be true. But here's the thing, the culture we live in, It doesn't tend to rest, does it? In fact, sometimes when people come to me and they say, hey Chad, what'd you do today? I feel the need to make up stuff. Not that I'm lying, but I gotta go back through my head and act like I was busy, because if you're not busy, then you must be failing at life, right? You ever do that? The culture we live in doesn't really celebrate rest. and Because of that, we're not really used to it. There was a study that was done, or a poll that was taken a few years ago by Business Week magazine, and they asked people one question, how are you feeling? And you know what the number one answer was? I'm tired. You know what the number two answer was? I'm busy, which means I will be tired soon. <laughs> and the number three answer was, well, I'm fine, which is a lie. Nobody's ever really fine, are they? I'm tired. We live in a culture that is constantly tired, constantly exhausted, Recent studies tell us that the average American sleeps less than five hours a night, and yet the medical community tells us that every single human being needs over eight hours of sleep in order to function properly, and yet we get less than five hours of sleep a night. Do you know that before the invention of the light bulb that the average American slept anywhere from nine to 10 hours a night? See, all this technology is supposed to make our lives easier, and don't get me wrong, I appreciate the light bulb a lot. But sometimes what it's done is it's given us an excuse to be more and more busy. There's an old adage that says, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. You know why? Because when we're busy, we get distracted from what matters most. So I want to do a little test here to see how busy you are. I want to see how rushed and hurried your life is. So I'm going to put a statement up on the screen. And when I do, I just want you to raise your hand if you've ever done this, okay? So let's be honest. Let's be transparent. I'm going to raise my hand on a few of these, maybe on all of them. We'll see. But uh, put your hand up in the air if you've ever done this, okay? Here's our first statement. I've cut through a parking lot to avoid stopping at a red light. Anybody ever done that? Oh, look at the hands. Wow, yeah, I've done that too, Um, maybe more than once. Yeah, I've done that as well. Okay, good. Here's the next statement. I often switch lines because I think the one I'm in is moving too slow. Anybody ever done that? My family just went to Disney not too long ago, and we were doing that all the time. Like, I think maybe that line's faster. Let's get in that line or whatever. I do that all the time, and sometimes I think, why, God? Did you put me in this slow line just to test me? You know, I wonder that sometimes. You ever been there? Okay, how about this? I frequently look at my phone for no apparent reason. Anybody ever do that? Yeah, I do. Like, I didn't get a phone call, didn't get a text message, didn't get email, I'm not looking anything up. I just feel the need to look at my phone because I'm so important, I need to always look at my phone. You ever done that? How about this one? People who talk too slowly irritate Me. Okay, anybody fall into that category? Yeah, I talk fast. I know I do. If you've heard me preach, you know I talk fast. When somebody's talking, so I'm like, spit it out, man, come on, just get to the point. And that's not healthy, but I do it. Okay, number five. When I lay down at night, my mind races thinking about all the things I need to get done. Anybody fall into that category? Yep, I have too. How about this one? I struggle to find... I struggle to find the time Should be the time To do things like paying bills And going to the doctor Anybody struggle to find the time to do that? Allison gets on me all the time You need to do this You need to go to the doctor You need to take care of yourself I don't have time I don't have time And how about this last one I feel compelled to leave church early In order to beat the rush You don't have to raise your hand Because we know who you are Okay (laughs) We've seen you do it All right? Let's just face it We live a life of hurry Don't we And I don't know about you but sometimes my life feels like this right here Take a look at this picture I feel like a hamster on a wheel I'm just running and running and running I think the faster I run the more I'm going to accomplish But I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything I'm just running faster and faster and faster And if this is your life, if this is where you are This is eventually what's going to happen Take a look at this That's, what's, that's what happens when we just continue to run and run and run and we never take a break. Guys, we crash and we burn. See, it's kind of like getting a brand new car. And you get a brand new car, it's nice, you spend a lot of money on it, but then you never get an oil change. And you drive for thousands of miles, and for a while everything's going great, right? You're accomplishing a lot, you're covering a lot of territory, you're moving at rapid speed. But if you never get an oil change, guess what? Eventually, your car's gonna walk up, right? And you're not going to be able to drive anymore. And you can make excuses like, well, I'm too busy. or I was accomplishing all this. So I don't have time. You can make every excuse in the world, but eventually your car is not going to run anymore. It's just like a cell phone. We all have these, don't we? Couldn't live without them. At least that's what we think. This is an old cell phone of mine. It's not the one I currently use. And you can hit the button on it and try to turn it on, and it won't turn on. You know why? Because I haven't used it for a while. Battery's dead. In order to use a cell phone, what do you got to do? You've got to regularly charge it up. And it doesn't matter how important your phone call is you need to make, it doesn't matter what you need to look up on your phone, if it's not charged up, it's not going to work. It's dead, right? And the same is true for our lives. If we don't regularly get recharged, if we don't regularly rest, we're going to kill ourselves. Spiritually, emotionally, maybe even physically. We're going to crash and burn. And I think one reason why we struggle to find a rhythm of rest in our lives is because we confuse the roles of shepherd and sheep. We think we're in charge. So we think we need to call the shots and we know what's important for our lives and we need to be successful in the eyes of other people. We think we're in charge, we're the shepherd and who wants to be sheep? Well sheep, they can't take care of themselves. They're dependent on someone else. I mean that's not the American way. The American way is be independent, right? We don't want them to be dependent on someone else, even if that happens to be the Lord. But our hearts will remain restless until we find rest in the shepherd. That's why Jesus says in Matthew eleven, twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the question I'm gonna ask is, how do we do that? Because is it just sleeping more? Is it just taking more naps? Well, yeah, that could probably help, but it's got to be more than that. How do we move from a mindset of rushing to that of resting? How do we exchange rushing for resting? Well, I think the Bible gives us some practical ways to do just that. And the first thing that the Bible says is this it says that we need to slow down and enjoy God's presence. If you want calm in the midst of your chaos, It starts with remembering who God is. Did you notice in our passage how David refers to the Lord as my shepherd? He doesn't say the shepherd or the Lord is a shepherd. Both those statements would have been correct. But he says the Lord is my shepherd. He makes it personal. And what David here is emphasizing is God, the one who created the cosmos, the one who holds the universe in his hands, That God wants to have a relationship, a personal relationship with me. And David never wants to forget that because this great God who created everything loves me, is on my side, and wants to see me live a healthy, fulfilled life. He wants to lead me. But in order for that to happen, I've got to slow down and remember and acknowledge him. That's why Psalm 46, verse 10 says this. Be still. This is God speaking to us. Be still and know that I am God. And when you do, you will experience incredible, otherworldly joy and love. Because in the presence of God, those struggles we're facing, those problems that we're dealing with, they don't seem near as large they don't seem near as out of control. So what I want to challenge you today to do is to turn your struggles, problems, whatever you're dealing with, turn those things over to God. And don't let them stress you out, but know that the God who loves you is greater than any struggle you may be facing. The Bible says that God never sleeps, and I once heard somebody say, and I've never forgot this, said, God never sleeps so that I can. And I love that. We're not the shepherd, we're not in charge. God is, and he's always looking after his sheep, so remember him. The second thing the Bible tells us to do is to slow down and enjoy God's creation. See, I'm not sure if you ever thought about this, but we were originally created to live in a garden, a garden paradise that reflected the glory of our God. But because of sin, now where do we spend the majority of our time? Between four walls, right? in an office, in our homes, in our cars, wherever. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's where we spend the majority of our time. And I want to challenge you. Get out and experience God's creation because he created it for us, for us to enjoy. And when you spend time in God's creation, it will reflect his glory. You will be reminded of just how big our God is, and I think it will remind you how much he loves you, that he created all this for us. In Numbers 14, verse 21, it says, the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. We've got to keep in mind that God created sunrises and sunsets. He made mountains and fields and rivers and oceans for us, for our enjoyment. So spend time in God's creation, and when you do, you'll be reminded just how how awesome he is and how loved you are. I made the statement just a little while ago that my family went to Disney not too long ago. Remember when we were waiting in all those lines? I remember in one plane ride that we were on, uh, we actually took off before the sun came up. And so we were on the plane as the sun was rising. And so it was beautiful seeing the sun come up over the clouds from a plane. It was just gorgeous. And my son Alex was looking out his window and seeing that happen. And he said, Daddy, that is awesome. I said, yeah, it really is, isn't it? And then he looked at me and he said something I was not expecting. He goes, God gets to see that every day. And I thought, you know, he's right. We forget about that. We see it when we're on a plane occasionally or something like that. God sees it every day, but he doesn't just see it. He controls it. He holds it in his hands. And that God who created all that awesomeness is the one who says, I want to be your shepherd and my shepherd. Something else that Alex and I like to do, we like to sit on our front porch when it rains and watch it rain. I know that sounds weird, but um, we do. It's, it's something that we enjoy doing, and we like to do it when it's a little bit warmer out. Uh, it's, we've had some cold weather here. I mean, it snowed just, what, like two or three days ago in October in Oklahoma. It snowed. What in the world? But anyway, we like to do it when it's a little bit warmer and there's no storms. We like to sit out on our front porch and watch it rain. And I remember one time we were sitting out watching it rain, and Alex turned to me, and he said, Daddy, why does it rain? I said, well, buddy, you know how sometimes you ask for a drink of water, and he's like, yeah, and Daddy gets you a drink of water, yeah. Well, the earth gets thirsty, and so God gives it a drink, and by giving the earth a drink, then it nourishes us, because we get water, and we get food from that, and God takes care of us that way. I'll never get Alex saying to me, man, God really loves us, doesn't he? And he does. And when you spend time in God's creation and see the vastness of it all, you'll be reminded of just how loved you are, because God created all this For us, the third thing the Bible tells us to do is to slow down and enjoy God given relationships. See, we were created to live in relationship with others. And God wants us to have people in our lives who are going to encourage us, who are going to hold us accountable, people who are going to tell us to slow down when we need to slow down, people are going to tell us that we need to rest and we need to listen to those people. And sometimes what we need to do is just slow down and, and slow down and enjoy those relationships that God has given us. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent or another family, or maybe it's just a friend. I know any time I talk about God-given relationships, some people get nervous because they say, hey, I'm single, and you know I'm not married, so I, and I don't have any kids, and so I'm just here by myself. And that's why the church exists, because we want to be a family for you. We want to be a family for everyone. Because we're here to encourage one another and build one another up. And that's why Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. But here's the thing, busyness destroys relationships. And that's what ends up happening when we stay busy. We'll end up taking our frustration and our stress out on the people we love. I've even seen people take their frustration and stress from life out on the church You know, life doesn't go well, so they come to the church, they get mad at the church for the color of the carpet or whatever. You know, they get mad at the church because life isn't going the way it should be going. And instead of coming to the church and letting the church feed them and help them and be there for them, they just get mad. That's what stress and busyness and anxiety does. But instead of taking that stuff out on the people around us, let's enjoy God's people Let's enjoy those God-given relationships that we have and be present in them in every way that we can. Be present in your marriage. Be present with your kids. Be present with your friends and other family members. Don't wait until it's a stressful time to say, I need you. Be present with them all the time so that when those trials come, you already have those relationships there to support you and lift you up. And then the fourth thing the Bible tells us is slow down and enjoy God's gifts. Did you notice how David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Some translations say I lack nothing. See, David here is admitting, I don't have everything I want in life. I haven't received everything I want in life, but I've got everything I need because I've got God. And when we slow down and we remember that everything we have we don't deserve, that none of it ultimately belongs to us anyway, anyway and that the only thing we really need in life is this relationship with God, we start to appreciate more what we do have. And instead of complaining or looking at what someone else has and says, I wish I had that, we start just to appreciate what God has blessed us with, what God has given us. See, here's the thing about lack, L-A-C-K. Lack is always a moving target. When you think you lack something, you can eventually get what you lack, but then you realize you're lacking something else. And social media is the worst cause for this. I mean, social media, you get on there and you say, hey, I like what this person has and I like what that person has and you want all this other stuff. But David says, I like nothing. And we know David didn't have everything he wanted, but he had all he needed. He had his relationship with God. So everything else that he had was just icing on the cake. It was stuff that he didn't deserve. And he knew he ultimately didn't deserve his relationship with God. We had a group from our church just a couple weeks ago went on a mission trip to Mexico. And while they were there, they were able to encounter and spend some time with some refugees who were without homes because they were fleeing for their lives. And so they got to minister to those people, give them some clothes, some food, all that kind of stuff. And they got to enjoy their, their company as well. They got to talk to them about Jesus. And I was talking to one lady who went on this mission trip, and she was telling me, you know, it really makes you start to appreciate what you have when you look at somebody who doesn't have anything. They've had to abandon their homes, abandon their stuff, abandon their home country, abandon everything. And yet, when Sunday rolled around, and they had church services, those same people were praising God at the top of their lungs. They had nothing in the eyes of the world, but they had all they needed. They had God. And so, yeah, you may look at your house and say, man, I wish I had a newer house or a bigger house or a nicer house or whatever but you have a house. See, when you start to realize what we need, the only thing we need is God, everything else is just icing on the cake. And this world is temporary, we're just passing through. We have what we need in God. And when you realize that, you realize you like nothing. So let me ask, are you doing the stuff that I just said? Are you slowing down and enjoying God's presence, enjoying God's creation, enjoying God's people, enjoying God's gifts? Because if not, Maybe you need to start. See, when we start slowing down and resting as God wants us to live, it not only helps us, and it will, it will help our own mental state, it will help our own spiritual lives, it will help our own emotional state and all that good stuff, physical state, but it will do more than that. It will also help us witness to others because living God's rhythm of rest demonstrates that our faith is real. See, normal people who live out in this world, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're on that hamster wheel all the time, they're running the rat race, they are exhausted and stress-filled. And if we run as they run, if we live as they live at breakneck speed and never taking a break, never resting, then we're no different from them. We're just the same ass. And if we live like everyone else, then they won't see Jesus in us. See, I think what the world needs to be able to see in us is a people who rest and say, hey, why are they so satisfied? Why are they so content? Why, why are they not stressed out like we're stressed out? What's different about them? And that gives us the opportunity to say, hey, come and meet the shepherd who's leading us because he can lead you to green pastures as well. I've heard Christians, well-meaning Christians say, I've seen it on church signs, I've even heard sermons on this, believe it or not. I've heard well-meaning Christians make this statement. When I rest, I rust. And I know they're well meaning when they say that. What they're trying to say is, don't be lazy. And I get that. The Bible tells us not to be lazy. But I don't like that. Because it's saying that rest is a bad thing. And I think that goes against what the scripture says. See, what I say, instead of when I rest, I rust, I say when I rest, I trust. Because when I regularly take time to rest as God has asked me to, I'm acknowledging I'm not the shepherd. I'm not in control. I'm not calling the shots. It's not all about me. I am following the shepherd. I am trusting in him. I'm letting him take me where I need to go. His plan is my plan. When I rest, it shows that I'm trusting in him, that he's in control. I challenge you to do the same today because God wants you to live a full content life now and it starts of letting him bring you into the rest you need. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this time that we've had to meet together as your people and to study the beginning of this 23rd Psalm. Father, may we pay attention to what David is trying to tell us. May we pay attention to what you're trying to tell us through your word, that we need to rest in you. And when we do rest in you, we will find strength for our souls. Father, I pray if there's anybody out there who's just running and running and running and they're living in this wilderness of death that is the world around us, that they can come and find the life that you want them to live today. They will seek you out. And Father, our leadership here would be happy to talk to any, anybody in this room out at Stone Canyon listening online who wants to know more about this life of green pastures. So Father, I pray that you speak to the hearts of those who are listening today and may we find the rest in your son that he came to bring us. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.